0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Never Chain Talk Show, a Life Without Limbs production. I'm your host, Nick Vujicic, and we're so glad that you've decided to join us. This February, we'll be talking about The Unborn, part of our Champions for the Broken Hearted series for 2022. Last week, we were joined by Stephanie Gray Connors, and today we'll be talking remotely with our friend, Lila Rose. Lila is the founder and president of Live Action, a human rights nonprofit with the largest digital footprint for the global pro life movement. She is regularly featured in major news outlets and is the author of the book, Fighting for Life Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. She's also the host of The Lila Rose Show, a podcast that tackles relationships, faith, culture, and politics. Thank you so much, Lila, for speaking with us today.
1: Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk.
0: It's our honor. It's our honor. Thank you so much. Look, firstly, Lila, uh, I'll give you an air hug. Love you. Uh, (laughs) This is so awesome just to share your story and what God's doing through you and your ministries. First of all, though, Lila, can you share with us how you came to know Jesus and how you first got involved in working on pro-life issues.
1: Sure. So I came to know Jesus first through believing parents. My parents loved God, raised us as Christians, church on Sundays, prayer before meals. And we talked about Jesus in the home growing up. So he was a real person. It wasn't just some uh, activity that they did on weekends, but it was part of our daily life. And it wasn't a perfect upbringing, but Jesus was present in that. So I remember being six years old and having that, basically having this sense in my mind that Jesus was a real person who was God. And I knew that he had died for me. I knew that I had sin. I had this realization that I had, you know, I did bad things. I think there's a certain age that kids have that self-awareness around the age of five or six. And I just said to God, I want to follow you. I want to believe in you. And I want to be a disciple of Jesus as, as much as I knew how at six years old. And then as I got older, of course, my faith was quite tested in many ways. I thought, am I really a Christian? What do I really believe? You know, you kind of have this, some kids have this shaking of their their parents' faith and they want to really realize that this is my faith. And then in college, when I was a student at UCLA, I became even more more committed to my faith. And I realized this is not just, you know, a religious belief that, you know, people have their religion, but this is completely has to capture my whole life, that my whole life has to be dedicated to, loving God and trying to get to heaven with with all the people around me because we want to be with Jesus forever in eternity. So and then pro-life work kind of happened alongside that. I was a young teen when I started Live Action and that's my organization where a global nonprofit we have the largest Um, online outreach for the pro-life movement, educating millions of people every single week. And when I started it, it was really just a small student group in my parents' living room, but I started it in San Jose, California, because there wasn't any other pro-life group in the community that was actually reaching young people. And I had this realization Kind of given to me by God, I believe, just like this realization that Christ is God and I need to follow Christ, this realization about abortion that this is the human rights issue of our day and I had to do something about it. And I could, you know, go on to another time all the details about how that came about. But the bottom line was, I thought this is the human rights issue of our day. There are over at the time 3,000 children being killed daily by abortion. I have to do something about it. I can't just pretend like it's not happening. And so I got together with some friends in my parents' living room to say, we were just going to educate our peers, educate other young people, because if they saw the facts about human life, about the evil of abortion, about human development, many more would choose life instead of choosing abortion. And so that was the beginning of live action.
0: Incredible. Incredible. Praise God and God bless you. Um, Look, let's start at the beginning. Uh, let's have you, if you can, help our audience, Lila, understand just how prevalent the issue of abortion is. What's some of the numbers here in the United States?
1: Sure. Well, first off, this is not being reported on any major media sources. If you just you know, consume normal media, even social media, lived your life, you would almost never know these numbers. The fact that Abortion, to begin with, is the leading cause of death in America daily. So higher than COVID death tolls, higher than heart disease, higher than cancer, higher than car accidents is the death toll of children in the womb being killed, torn apart, torn into pieces, suctioned to death, poisoned to death by first, second and third trimester abortions. So the daily average death toll in America is 2,363 children killed every single day, almost a million children a year. This should be headline news. This is, the, this is the top killer more than anything else. And so when you consider that not only is abortion the top killer, but that it's sanctioned, it's accepted and permitted by our laws, our legal system should protect human rights. It should protect the most basic human right, which is the right to live, the right to life. And the fact is our legal system does the exact opposite. Our legal system actually empowers those that are stronger than pre-born children, their parents, um, so called doctors, the medical system, to kill them in, in mass. And instead of protecting their right to live, it's actually defending the right of their killers to kill them. So you have this tremendous human rights abuse written into our legal code, and it's led to the leading cause of death for the most vulnerable members of society. Because even more vulnerable than a toddler or a newborn baby is a preborn baby who's completely dependent on his or her mother. So the fact that our society has legally accepted culturally encouraged and killing is killing children at a death toll rate that's higher than any other makes this the preeminent issue in this country and globally it's the leading cause of death globally i could talk about the devastation in other countries but of course here in the united states we're supposed to be leaders and we're the leaders in killing so all of these facts when you consider them should lead us to the conclusion that this has to be the cause of our day that yes, there's a lot of other important issues to get concerned about. As Americans, as Christians, we should be concerned about a lot of issues. We should be standing up for freedom, religious liberty, all of these things. But if we kill our children, if we accept our laws permitting their deaths, if we accept our healthcare system turned against them to commit lethal violence against them, what good is any other fight that we're fighting in this country? It's all going to fail in the end if we do not protect our children and stand up for the least of these. And I'll say one more thing. As Christians, what is the call of the Christian? What did Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and Savior say? He said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it to me. And whatever you do not do to the least of these, you do not do to me. Jesus Christ our Lord is taking on this radical identity, the solidarity with the weakest, with the most vulnerable, with the suffering. Who is the most vulnerable? Who is the most suffering? Who is the weakest? in the world today, who is the most under threat? It's the preborn child. So if we dare to profess our faith as Christians and say that that's who we are and what we believe, then we will take Jesus Christ's words seriously and we will stand up to fight for the least of these who is absolutely the preborn child, both in the United States and globally.
0: Amen. Woo! Fire, Lila, truth. (laughs) Uh, From God's perspective, we know uh, he is, delight in every single child. He formed us in our mother's womb. He knew our name before the earth began. Um, But for His perspective from His heart, for the unborn and the expecting mother, talk about God's heart for the unborn and the expecting mother, and this whole evil.
1: Well, scripture makes it very clear what how God views children in the womb and pregnancy. And there's nothing more strikingly clear, crystal clear, picture perfect than the image of God uh, sending his angel to the Blessed Virgin Mary to say to her that basically, do you want to be the mother of God? Do you want to be the mother of Jesus Christ? And her saying, be it done unto me according to thy word. And then she conceives by the power of the Holy Spirit, an embryo, a single cell embryo, that's the beginning of human life. That's when the science reveals human life begins in the, when the child is just a single cell embryo. That's how God himself came into the world. So there's nothing more profoundly making the natural sacred than Jesus Christ choosing to come into the world as a single cell embryo in the womb of his mother and and blessing pregnancy and unborn life in that way. And then later on in the scripture talks about how Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, goes to her pregnant cousin, Elizabeth. You hear this in the book of Luke, goes to her pregnant cousin, Elizabeth, who's in her third trimester. Mary's in her first. Elizabeth is about to have a baby and she's about to have John the Baptist. And the scripture says that John the Baptist leaps in the womb at the sound of Mary's voice on the doorstep, who's having in her own womb, his cousin, Jesus Christ. And this incredible encounter of two embryos, an embryo and a fetus, two unborn babies, preborn children who are encountering each other and responding to each other into each other in the Holy Spirit and two pregnant mothers who together are ushering in the salvation story. I mean, what more incredible sanctifying message there can there be about how God views children in the womb and how God views pregnancy and how God views the honor and the dignity of motherhood? So that's very clear what Scripture says. What's happening in the world today? What's the what is the uh, the greatest attack right now? As I said before, it's abortion, it's the killing of the child. What more does Satan want to do than destroy the image bearer, than destroy the the image bearer of God, which is the child, which is the human person when they're the most vulnerable, and to desecrate motherhood by turning mothers against their children, by having them tempted to commit and choose or be pressured into abortions. Right now in our country. Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion chain. I started doing investigative reporting of Planned Parenthood as a college student. I actually went undercover, posing as an abuse victim because one of the big associated evils of abortion is abuse, and a lot of abuse victims are coerced into having abortions by their abusers. And so I was exposing how abortion clinics, Planned Parenthood primarily, which is the abortion leader, is actually not just out to get and kill children, but is harming and actively perpetuating the harm of women. And this is an organization that I believe is founded by, it was founded by a very, uh, in, in, in a very, many ways, very evil founder who wanted to use population control to limit populations she didn't like, birth control later on, abortion. But the the reality is it's the leading killer today in the United States and the leading political proponent of abortion. And I bring this up because there's absolutely a spiritual battle associated with the brick and mortar set up in our country to kill children with the taxpayer money, our dollars, which is funding these atrocities. And so as Christians, we have to see, first we have to fight the the political battles. We have to fight the cultural battles. We have to speak the truth. We have to help women and families in need. But We have to also realize that Satan is at work here. Satan loves abortion. Satan loves Planned Parenthood facilities. Satan loves what's happening to destroy the image of God and destroy children when they're the most vulnerable. And so we have to be equipped with prayer putting on the armor of faith, be equipped with knowledge. We understand what our faith teaches and go out there to be God's hands and feet in this fight.
0: Lila, so many people go to church every Sunday. They don't even hear any of this from the pulpit. The things that you've discovered uh, with those undercover investigations, the incredible amount of money, uh, that is made from this business. Um, the, I mean, there's layers and layers, as you know, with even baby parts being sold on the black market. Uh, it, it is disgusting. It is evil. In this context of the things that you've discovered, help help the people who say, I, you know, my 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 pastors never talked about this. I don't even know where my local Planned Parenthood is. We have never been asked, um, you know, let us go to the local Planned Parenthood and just pray Mm -hmm. over that. We do not even remember the last time the youth pastor talked about keeping on their pants until marriage, to also Mm -hmm. understand that abortions are happening right in our own churches as well. From the church's perspective, in in waking us up out of a coma, uh, to talk about what you have also discovered. In those investigations, and and really uh, saying to the church, church, wake up! What would you like to specifically at this point right now tell the church? For those of us who are like, okay, well, how does that really have me engage in my own community today? I think there's some things that's going to come out of your mouth that's going to be like. Whoa, like I didn't know this. This needs to be talked about now here in the church, in my home, in my community.
1: Well, let's start with the words of Christ. He says that we are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? It should be thrown away. What does that mean? Let's think about that for a minute. Salt seasons, salt Remind, it, it, it also preserves. I mean, that's what it was used for, was to preserve meat, to preserve food. If the salt is lost to saltiness, what good is it? Christians should be known by their love and by their truth, by the truth that they follow, the truth that is Christ, and the moral law that Christ gave us. There is a moral law. It's God's law. And it's designed to, for our human freedom and flourishing. And if we throw that law away, if we just act like the world acts, what good are we we're not even living our christian faith we might as well be lukewarm we are lukewarm and what does christ have to say about the lukewarm what does god have to say about the lukewarm that he wants to spit them out of his mouth because he'd rather you were burning hot or you were actually even rebelling and and doing so and wrestling with finding out what the truth is than just sitting and being like everybody else and so as christians if we know what the truth is and we know what the truth is it's do not kill if the child in the womb is a life just like any other any other, and made in God's image, we know these truths. If we do not preach these truths, live by these truths, and radically commit to help these truths be brought about in our society, what good are we? We have lost our salt. We have lost our light. And so I think the defining issue for the church today is twofold. Number one, the defining issue for the church is, will we accept the killing of children as the commonplace activity of our, of our countries, of our cities, of our states? Or will we stand up and say, we will adopt those children, we will foster those children, we will educate the people in our community, we will fight for laws to protect those children, we will do everything we can to stop innocent bloodshed. And then number two, the second defining issue, it, is, it does connect directly to identity and sexual morality. And this is not to be a Puritan or a Pharisee or to say we're better than everyone else. It's merely to say God has a beautiful design for human sexuality. That's why he instituted marriage, to bring life into the world, sex design in marriage so that we can bring life into the world. And those children have mothers and fathers who love each other and are bonded together in the spirit. That's God's design. There's a purpose for it. When we break God's design, we bring up so much havoc and chaos into our societies, into our homes, into our communities. And so if we as Christians really want to be salt and light, we have to be willing to speak the truth about sexual morality, that sex is designed for marriage, it's designed for children, it's beautiful, it's designed as the way God designed it. And we, we should be living that out as best we can. Of course, that means there's there are mistakes. You know, we have to repent, we have to get up again and keep trying. But today, it's so watered down in the church, people are afraid to talk about sexual morality. People are afraid to talk about the sacredness of life. And there's so many reasons for that fear. There's so many um, rationalizations for that fear, but we have to cut through the fog and say, this is the truth. I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to humbly stand on it and try to live it myself. And I know that this truth needs to be shared because this is what sets people free. This is what brings people ultimately to the narrow gate, Jesus Christ, in order to access heaven. We need to follow Christ and do our very best to obey him. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll follow my commandments. What are his commandments? He's very clear about the sanctity of life. And he's very clear about the sanctity of marriage. And so speaking up about these things and living these things is essential for every Christian today more than ever.
0: And we all understand that everyone goes through different temptations and and, uh, uh, urges of sin of all sorts. And not one sin is bigger than the other. Uh, and especially even in obviously the issue in abortion uh, if someone's been raped uh, very tempting to say I don't want this child for so many reasons before we go to the next question um, uh, I, I definitely want to talk about you know the the parallel of of understanding that, First of all, as a church, we need to come alongside people um, who make the decision um, to, first of all, be transparent in what's going on, uh, what abuse they did go through, um, and that now she is pregnant, victim of rape or incest. That's when the church should be standing up and coming alongside of that woman um, to help and even pray for the criminal um, understanding that this unborn child should not have a death sentence because of because of someone else's crime um, and in that the abuse and domestic uh, violence I'm gonna bring this in under the umbrella human trafficking there are some churches talking about human trafficking but actually Lila, um, in, in this umbrella of what I've just opened up, the question here is really helping us understand the the, the direct connection between abortion and child trafficking um, that you've also found through some of the investigations that you've uncovered.
1: Of course. And, and first, I want to say, you know, the church's uh, response, religious leaders' response to sexual abuse is of the utmost importance. And the church, both Catholic churches, many Protestant churches, some mega denominations has failed at many points in their response to sexual abuse and how they've handled it. So I just want to make a note that it's really important that we call evil evil and we hold the evildoers accountable and we hold them accountable both under the law, the law that is instituted in our country for rule rule of law, for law and order, as well as hold them spiritually accountable in our communities, but both have to work together. So if there is an abuser, if there is documented abuse, if there's a victim who's coming out and speaking out against it, covering that up is always wrong. And unfortunately that happens in and out of not just the Christian community in the world, Christian world, but it happens in the secular world because abuse, abusers are often in positions of power. So it's easy for them to try to cover things up. So first say that, this also is absolutely connected, like you said, Nick, to the abortion industry because abusers use abortion to cover up their abuse. I was just interviewing a young woman uh, a few months back who shared how she was coerced into having an abortion at age 12 by her father. She was a victim of incest. This is ha- this happens all too commonly. and It happens to sexually trafficked victims, too, because in order to keep your sexually trafficked girl uh you know out on the streets in order to to sell her body you don't want her to be pregnant in the life of a sexually trafficked victim they'll get pregnant often multiple times and the abuser is going to want to get a secret and forced abortion so that they continue they can continue to sell their sexually abused victim their young girl their underage girl whoever it might be so what we've documented at Planned Parenthood facilities for example is that the number two place this is according to the Beasley report by a, 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 a white paper done at Chicago uh, Loyola University, that out of the places that a sexually trafficked victim reported being brought to by her sexual abusers or being sent to, the emergency room was the top place, and that's because she'd get beat up, she'd get maybe life threatening attack from you know from her pimp or from one of the clients, the clients, the abusers, the the, the buyers, or she would actually be pregnant and she'd be sent to Planned Parenthood. So Planned Parenthood is actually the number two place besides emergency rooms that sexually abused, sexually trafficked victims are taken to or sent to under threat. That should tell you a whole lot. And yet Planned Parenthood is notoriously bad at reporting sexual abuse or suspected sexual abuse. We've documented this in over a dozen clinics where they've actually covered up sexual abuse. They thought that they were dealing with an abuse victim and they would say, we're not going to tell anyone. We're not going to report it to the police. This is happening every day at abortion facilities across America. So there's absolutely a connection between abusers using abortion to cover up their crime and abortion clinics like Planned Parenthood willingly and happily aiding and abetting sexual abuse and sex trafficking because they don't want to get the police involved. They just want to sell an abortion or sell birth control. They don't want to have to worry about it. And so they think that it's best to just do a secret abortion and send a young girl or an abused woman back into the arms of her abuser or her, or her pimp. Viewers, and you can read you can read more about this liveaction.org. We have a whole series of investigative videos that expose this step by step. But I highly recommend we all are aware that this is happening because it's another aspect of the evil of abortion and how it's uh, harming, of course, children, killing children, but also harming women.
0: Viewers, don't just be listening. Go and check out that website. Go and see it for yourself. What has been uncovered? It is more. Then we think on the surface. Um, but to understand, uh, in, in, in biblical times, let us say, I, I always use this example, um, you know, if the king says we are going to kill children Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, uh, but you know, the Christians were vocal about it, and um, they are going to change the hours to do one less hour of killing, how can we be rejoicing? When we talk about the heartbeat bill and rejoicing over heartbeat bills, what you have just heard in the uh, human trafficking victims, there is no other way um, to wipe away um, the human traffickers' sin other than to go to a Planned Parenthood and get rid of uh, this child so that they can still enslave the human-trafficked victim. I do not know if you have made that correlation before, but that is the correlation that is true, and thank you, Lila, for bringing this up to the surface, being so bold and exposing all of this evil, to understand that indeed abortion and human trafficking is uh, indeed correlated with one another. Um, Lila, we know that in 2021, 2022, this era of America, uh, the 50th coming up anniversary of Roe versus Wade, uh, the current news in our country. I'm so curious to hear from you. Where do you think uh, this Supreme Court, um, this decision, uh, where will this potentially, in your opinion, lead us as a country?
1: Well, It's a very monumentous time in our movement because, as many folks know, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments for the Dobbs v. Jackson case back in December, and they will be deciding that case likely here in June. What is the Dobbs v. Jackson case? Mississippi passed a 15 week abortion ban law that was then challenged in court, it ended up going all the way up to the Supreme Court. The reason it's significant is because 15 weeks is you know, killing a baby at 15 weeks is killing that baby pre-viability. What is viability? It's this very arbitrary and unscientific line that's drawn in the sand to say a child can survive outside the womb with intervention at about, you know, 22 and a half weeks. Um, Just a few days before that, the child can't survive outside the womb. And so therefore, it's okay to kill the child when they're unable to survive. And then after they can survive, then it's okay for the law to protect the child. So because of Roe v. Wade and all of the companion Supreme Court cases afterwards, like Casey v. Planned Parenthood, all of these different laws and rulings have ultimately said a state can ban abortion after viability, but it's an undue burden on a woman to ban abortion before viability, this very arbitrary 21, 22, 23 week old mark. And so Mississippi went up there and said, well, I'm banning at 15 weeks. They passed it. It got contested. Now the Supreme Court is deciding. Is it okay for Mississippi and by default other states to ban abortion before viability? And if this court upholds Mississippi's 15 week abortion ban and says you can ban before viability, then it ultimately cuts at the very heart of Roe v. Wade's illogical and unjust ruling. And that's a huge step forward for the pro-life movement because it means at minimum that other states, not just Mississippi, but other states can pass more legal protections for pre-born children. Now, here's the deal. The Constitution is very clear. Our, Our amazing Constitution, the 14th Amendment, promises equal protection under the law for all persons and says that no state can deprive someone of the right to live without due process. Abortion is the deprivation of the right to live of innocent Americans, it happening in the United States without due process. And children have equal protection under the law as adults. They should. There's no reason that they shouldn't philosophically. If you're a human, you're a human and you deserve human rights. So our Constitution already protects children from abortion. But the problem is, Our illogical and unjust and immoral Supreme Court has ruled wrongly, like they've ruled in the past with Dred v. Scott and other cases where they've uh, they've basically upheld human rights abuses. And it's time for the Supreme Court to set the record straight at last. So it's not enough, Nick. I don't think it's enough for the Supreme Court to say, okay, Mississippi, you can ban abortion at 15 weeks. I mean, yes, that's a step in the right direction, but that's not enough because no state, has the right to permit any abortionist, any doctor to kill a child at any age. It's the constitutional right of that child to live. And so what really needs to happen and what I'm praying for, for the Supreme Court to do, and it's unlikely that they will do this large of a step because they're more incrementalists, but it would be the just thing to do and the constitutional thing to do for them to say, the constitution already protects the right to life of the preborn child. And it's actually the state's responsibility, just like with any other murder case. It's the state's responsibility. Murder is not a federal crime, it's a state crime. And the state's job is to protect people in their state from murder. And that should 100% include children before birth, before viability, human beings, period. So that's what the Supreme Court should rule. What they're probably gonna do is just say, states, you can ban abortion if you want to. Well, what needs to happen? is the Supreme Court needs to say, states, you have a responsibility to ban abortion and to protect the right to live of those children. So that's what we're working towards. But regardless, we're going to fight the state-by-state battle until we make sure that every single state, including my state of California, which is a very dark place right now, every single state does what is just and right and protect children. Because truly, Nick, the future of our civilization, the future of our survival as an American experiment as an American country, as a country that claims to protect freedom and have constitutional rights is dependent on whether or not we can eradicate abortion legally and culturally. So that's what we have to work for regardless of what happens in June with how the Supreme Court may rule.
0: Talking about law and jurisdiction, um, the Hobby bill here in Texas and that mm-hmm. is uh, civil enforced, if you will, do you think that there there is in law an example of this, I mean, you and I, we all believe that abortion should be abolished, period. I've learned a lot from abortion-free mm-hmm. states, a nonprofit organization that I'm bored of, and talking to magistrates and state legislatures about this, how that is enforced. Um, your comment on is Texas in any regard... Uh, an example at all in how uh, this can be a a jurisdiction uh, held state by state? Mm -hmm.
1: Listen, I think Texas took a big step in the right direction, and I'm grateful for that. I mean, the fact that they have passed the heartbeat law and that it is still in effect and it's still saving up to maybe 100 lives a day, that is a victory. Saving one life is a victory. But here's the reality. Texas From my understanding, I'm not a Texan, but from what I've studied in your state, you have a Republican majority in the legislature. You have a Republican governor. If you wanted to, Governor Abbott could say, listen, enough is enough. We're shutting down abortion clinics. I'm going to call in the National Guard if I need to. But, you know, the Constitution is clear what it says. It protects the right to life for all people. My job as governor is to protect the right to live of children in the womb, as children outside the womb. And so I'm going to stand up and make sure that there's no killing centers authorized in my state, including before the heartbeat, because there are children being killed before their heartbeat can be detected. There are chemical abortions that can be done on children as young as four or five weeks old. And so it is the job, I believe, of every governor in this country, regardless of what a lawless uh Supreme Court decision might have said to follow the Constitution, to do what is right, and not pretend this fiction is, is is true, that a child in the womb is not a child, a human is not a human if they're not born yet. No, you're a human if you're a human, period. And if you're a human, you have human rights. And if you are an American citizen, whether you're born or preborn, you are in, entitled to the same constitutional protections as anybody else. So I would like to see Texas as they've already been a leader, you've already been a leader, Texas, with the heartbeat bill that's a step forward. Do the full abolition that's necessary to ensure human rights in your, and constitutional rights protected in your state. There's a 2363 bill that was introduced in Ohio using a similar mechanism illegally as Texas in order to avoid all of the uh, crazy unjust legal stuff happening with the Supreme Court historically. You could use the same legal mechanism if you want to to work to protect these kids, at least for for starters. But abolish all abortions. Don't don't just don't just say, oh, if their heart is developed enough to beat, then they're a human and then we'll protect them. No, if they're a human, they're a human, they're a human, and please protect them. So Ohio introduced the 2363 Act. This was in conjunction with a campaign that Live Action's been doing called 2363, and that's the death toll daily to abortion, including children whose hearts are not developed enough to beat yet, those children are being killed too. And in Ohio, they're saying, we're going to abolish all abortions. So we hope that Texas will work to do the same.
0: You see, and that's the question, why? There are some people that have theories that look all these incremental heartbeat bills. It's just a spinner and a political thing as well. The, the, the bottom line is that's the question, where are the answers? And where we vote and how we vote affects all of us and many, many lives are at stake. 2363 three today. Um, Lila, live action has had a massive digital footprint, and yet you've struggled with obviously being also blocked by big tech companies, including Twitter, Pinterest. Can you share more about that and the cancel culture uh, as you are experiencing as a pro life advocate in this space?
1: sure well we were uh censored by big tech before it became i guess popular to get censored i mean now there's so much censorship happening it's undeniable that it's a major problem but we were first censored five years ago actually it's been more than five years we had over six years ago now when twitter banned live action and me from doing promoted tweets that were pro-life so just to clarify what that means Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics are running what are called promoted tweets, they're like sponsored tweets or advertisements, sending their abortion message to you know more thousands of people online. We were running pro life messages like a picture of an ultrasound uh, image that had you know a Dr. Seuss quote, a person's a person no matter how small, a Mother Teresa quote, um, links to our investigative reporting, things like that. And Twitter now over six years ago banned our account saying that we were not allowed to be promoting any pro-life content unless we never disparaged Planned Parenthood. I mean, we have this in writing from Twitter. They said, unless we stopped uh, saying negative things about Planned Parenthood and unless we scrubbed any negative information about Planned Parenthood from our website, which, of course, we were never going to do. Um, We said, no way. But the reality is, to this day, we cannot do promotions on Twitter. But Planned Parenthood, tax-funded abortion uh, business, killer Planned Parenthood is doing promoted tweets on Twitter. So that's just one example. We've been shadow banned on Twitter as well. Right now my account has been shadow banned for the last two years so that you can't see my tweets, my tweets, my replies to other content on the platform is being um, hidden. You have to click on it in order to view it. Um, We've been totally banned from Pinterest, um, the popular image sharing website. Right now there are abortionists literally advertising abortions on Pinterest. So there's actual images with phone numbers saying this is how who to call to get an abortion that our account was completely banned because it was promoting pro-life content and again images of babies in the womb things that are very positive and informative and it was completely banned and what was the reason pinterest used uh originally we found out through a whistleblower eric cochran who used to work at pinterest that live action had been placed on the porn block list internally at pinterest to shadow ban our account and then when this whistleblower came out and said, live action's been shadow banned, Pinterest doubled down and completely banned live action and myself from Pinterest altogether. So it's absolutely insane, the amount of power many of these platforms have. And they're at the at the flick of an of a internal algorithm. They can change things dramatically for the reach of people as well as completely shut them down. It should concern everybody. What do we do in response? And I'll just say a couple of quick things here. Number one, I think we have to diversify, diversify, diversify. If you're getting out your content via social media, be on as many different platforms as possible and be spreading your message as many different places as possible. Number two, the people that you're trying to reach, think of other ways to reach them that's not re- reliant on social media. One of the big things that Live Action did in 20. 20- 21, and we're now doing in 2022 is number one, building our direct access or direct reach program. So that means we have people's emails, addresses, we can talk to them directly instead of having to use social media. And then number two, doing live events, actual physical events and activism on the streets and communities, because that's where we can reach people just in their places of work um, around their towns, as opposed to just reaching them digitally. So I think that's very important um, principles for anybody. Diversify your reach, make sure you have independent ways to reach people, and also use the real world. You know, use your your church community, if you're a, a, a pastor, to actually talk to people there. Social media is powerful, but it is also owned by people who are very hostile to our values and many truths that we're trying to share. And so the lights may get shut down. And so we have to be prepared.
0: I want to encourage everyone that this is very much of a spiritual warfare as much as as well tactics that... Lila has shared. There are two other social media platforms such as FreeSpace and Tuvoo, uh, locally based out of here in Dallas, that are startups. But uh, this, this is spiritual warfare at its core. Uh, it was disgusting when I saw Miley Cyrus's social media post with her abortion cake celebrating and uh, being a part of that culture of celebrating abortions. Um, a big, very disturbing photo of this cake and her doing this at the, the evil. And I also have many friends with crisis pregnancy uh, medical nonprofits that experience what you've shared, Lila, where they're not allowed to advertise. They are shadow Um, This is not just the culture of our world. This is spiritual warfare and out of all the battlefields that we are engaged in and can be engaged in as warriors, not just someone who goes through life and becomes a Christian and becomes saved and then, you know, become comfortable and one day go to heaven. No, we are at war for the souls and the glory of God. God has a plan for each unborn child. God has a plan for your church to rise up out of the coma and be counted in this fight. And it's up to you and your church to accept it, get engaged in it, Oh no, um, Lila. You know the depth of what it feels to be on the front line of God's army taking over territory for His kingdom. You know that as as we do here at Life That Limbs, it gets hot when you stand in front of the gates of hell and redirect traffic, and so much opposition that you faced with. Um, what has that taught you, Lila, about? Um, the meaning of all of this as to being a disciple of Jesus Christ?
1: Well, first of all, I think perspective is absolutely essential. Because, yes, I have faced attacks, death threats, rape threats, threats against my family. I have two little kids now. Um, I have faced, you know, censorship, um, you know, people that I grew up with not wanting to talk to me anymore because of what I do and, you know, everything else. But, Perspective. I am alive, breathing, a roof over my head. God has, um, you know, I live in a country where my life is protected by law. You know, that's a huge thing. I'm not not, not legal to go out and kill me. I mean, thank God, right? Um, I can practice my faith. I can go to church. We are so blessed. Christians in the West are so blessed. We are so uh, privileged. That word is thrown around a lot. Privilege, privilege. We are so privileged. And so I think what's essential to put, the pers- put, to put the threats in perspective and to find our courage is to be a student of history and a student of the times, to understand that actually today we are very blessed, we are very privileged, and we must use the freedom that we still have and the privileges that we still have to go out there and fight for life, to go out there and fight for those that are being led away to slaughter, to go out there and stand up for what is Right. Because the way that we're going to lose our freedoms is by not standing up for the freedoms of those who have already lost them. And that's primarily preborn children today can't even have, don't even have the freedom to live, to be born. So perspective, per- perspective, perspective. The best way to have courage is to look at history, too, and look at the heroes of people that stood up for the vulnerable, even when it cost them. I mean, you look at World War II. I, I wrote a book recently called Fighting for Life, and I talk about my heroes and how they gave me courage to do the right thing, because I saw their courage. Mm-hmm. I saw the, the way the way that they trusted God, even when it was difficult. And, you know, courage is incremental. When you do one courageous thing, it gives you courage to do a bigger thing, and then a bigger thing. And soon enough, you're out there fighting um, with the best of them at the very front lines of the culture battle, at the very front lines of the of these battles for life. So that little thing you might do, that hard conversation that you might have with a friend, Where you own up to the truth about what you believe and you share that with them. Or you go to your pastor and you say, when are you going to talk about life? When are you going to preach about life? When are you going to preach about abortion? Or you post something on social media and you get a lot of flack for it, but you still post it anyways. These are little acts of of defiance, good defiance. And they will give us the courage to take the next act. Another thing that I think is essential to give you courage to help us grow our willingness to stand up is go find out. What is the closest abortion clinic to you in where you live? Find that out, the closest abortion clinic to your home or your church. And then with one friend, go to that clinic and stand outside for at least an hour and just pray. You don't even have to try to counsel anybody if you're not trained. You don't even have to hold a sign if you don't want to. At minimum, stand on the sidewalk and pray to God for mercy for the children being taken to be killed there or who are going to be taken to be killed there and pray for it to be shut down. That will give you perspective and a courage you didn't know you had. You might be scared while you're doing it. The courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to stand up even when you're afraid. And that will help you take the next step when the next step God gives you for you to stand up and do and follow him in these, in these trying times. So I'd say at minimum, speak out and go to your local abortion clinic and pray. Try to make that even a monthly habit if you can, even weekly if you have the time, because being putting our our feet literally in the place that the the death toll is taking place and actually not just being about words and you know social media or talking to people but we're actually taking action action in the end coupled with prayer is what's going to change this and we need to be willing and ready to do both
0: amen amen uh look i I church listen to me very carefully You can't talk about pro-life without talking about human trafficking, without talking about the foster care and adoption system, which is crippled. Um, Where is your church? Where are we? We can't talk about these things without talking about the national security border crisis right now, where unaccompanied minors by the hundreds of thousands of people are coming across the borders, and most of them are being only accounted by Three main nonprofit organizations that have no accountability whatsoever, so not even the American government is actually filtering through and processing these people who are coming across. This is the time for us to wake up and understand and ask, okay, how can we encourage other people to become a foster uh, parent? Can we come around the, the current foster kids? Uh, within the homes in our church? Can we cook them meals? Can we help them with tutorial and homework? Can we surround these amazing champions for the unborn through the foster care ministry? How can you and your church come around this whole topic holistically, spiritually? It's not rocket science. May God convict us all as a church to get up, And go, Lila, your direct message to the church here in America.
1: (laughs) Stand up for what is right. Be willing to pick up our cross. And we have, in some ways, little sticks of a cross compared to the martyrs of our faith who went before literally into the lion's dead, literally into the Colosseums and we're killed for standing up. We're not at threat of being killed today. We might lose some of the material blessings we have. We might uh, face the, the, the anger or the frustration or the hatred of those around us, but we are so blessed here in the West with the freedoms that we still have. So as Christians to stand up and use those freedoms to serve others, to speak the truth, to advocate for the vulnerable, that's what we're called to do. And listen, we'll discover If we as Christians are willing to pick up our little sticks of a cross and follow our Lord Jesus Christ, we will discover our life take on more meaning, more beauty, and truly more peace, a deep peace that can't be taken away by the world when we're willing to really follow God, when we're willing to really follow Christ. Any other life is a counterfeit. Any other life is not living how we are called to live and being who we are called to be. So I want to encourage you. God has a plan. He has a plan for you at this particular time to stand up, to be counted, to be willing to speak, to be willing to to do the difficult thing, because that is how he will bring you your deepest peace and ultimately make you the saint that you're called to be. So I want to encourage you, be the saint you're called to be. Together we can do this, and we will see beautiful changes in the world around us where people are brought to faith and repentance. People are brought to the truth.
0: Mm -hmm. Repentance. God needs us to repent. Amen. We won't see the healing of God's hand for our country until we absolutely repent. Let's just be sorry for the tens of millions of babies that have been killed uh, since 1973. Um, but to stop the killing, uh, Lila, you are a champion for the unborn. Uh, last question, where can people get involved and learn more about your work?
1: Thank you, Nick. Please check out liveaction.org. Equip yourself with the facts and the information there. There's pro-life apologetics information. There's our investigative work. There's amazing educational videos about human development in the womb, like the Olivia story showing lifelike development of the child from the single cell embryo until birth. There's really important resources that show actual abortion procedures through medical animation. So you can actually know this is what abortion is and it's narrated by actual former abortionists. So equip yourself with that information and then connect with us, stay connected. We give out activation alerts regularly about how you can get involved politically and culturally and in your communities. We have an ambassadors program that you can join where you can learn how to be an advocate for life and fight for life. We also partner with dozens of other pro-life organizations and we're always promoting the work of other groups. So you can check that out at Live Action News, our news website, but get connected with us. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as well. And I'll be sharing all this information through my platforms. Find a way to stay connected, get the information that you need and we hope we can embolden you and equip you to stand up for life as well.
0: Lila, I love you. May God bless you and know that we're praying for you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank
1: you, Nick. Thank you so much. God bless you and your beautiful family and your very important ministry.
0: Thank you, Lila. God bless.
1: Bye-bye.